listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Close. Today's episode is sponsored by The Culinarium, Gourmet Provisions, and Fine Kitchenware. Queen of the Coop on the podcast today, talking about Lisa Steele. She's a fifth-generation chicken keeper, an author, a blogger, a TV host. The list goes on and on. She also released a cookbook, her first cookbook last year, called Fresh Eggs Daily, which is also the name of her blog and her website. Lisa grew up across the street from her grandparents' chicken farm. She, in fact, herself at a young age had chickens, but there was never really an attachment to that. It's not necessarily something she wanted to do growing up. In fact, she went to school to be an accountant. She worked on Wall Street for about seven years until one day at her desk, she just said, nope, I'm not doing this anymore, called her boss and quit on the spot. It wasn't until she was living in Virginia with hubby, they had horses and she wanted goats, Hubby wasn't too keen on that idea, so she said, let's ease into this with some chickens. She was posting pictures of baby chicks and chickens on social media, in fact, answering questions about raising chickens, and she realized she was answering the same questions over and over again, so she started a blog and eventually became this expert. Do you see what I did there? She's never heard that before. And people started flocking to her, okay, I'm done, uh, asking questions about raising chickens. Book one, book two, book three, and the light bulb, she says, just kind of went off and said, I can make a career out of this. And so she did. We dive deep into the cost of eggs and why they are so expensive right now, what to look for on an egg carton in the grocery store. And really, she says, it's so incredibly important. If you have access to a local farm or a friend or a family member who's raising chickens and you can get those eggs, that is the best way to do it. So Grab a pencil, maybe some paper, take some notes. Here's Lisa Steele. How early did you get up this morning? I imagine your days start early. Um, Not in the winter so much because it doesn't get light here in Maine until a bit later. You know, so in the summer, sometimes, you know, it'll be 4.30 in the morning and the sun's starting to come up and I have to kind of say, no, I don't need to get up and let the chickens out right now. But, you know, this time of year they sleep in. So I try to stay in bed till seven and then usually the thought of hot coffee will get me out of bed. There you go. Yeah. Usually, um, I think my dogs like to dictate when I get out of bed and some mornings I'm like, no, this is not up to you. Yeah. We have a Corgi and he loves to sleep, fortunately. So again, he's kind of dictated by the sunlight, but this time of year he'll sleep in and then by, you know, seven 30, definitely eight o'clock, he's ready for bed at night. So that's nice. Well, Lisa Steele, queen of the coop, from what I hear. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to introduce you properly. Author, fifth generation, chicken keeper. I was doing research on you and I just, you know, I I usually have like a list of things that identify you and yours just kept getting bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger and longer and longer. You've done so many things. You're doing so many things. Six books on raising backyard flocks. You recently... Uh, released a cookbook last year, Fresh Eggs Daily. That's also the name of your blog and your website, Fresh Eggs Daily, which is just this, I mean, goldmine of not only recipes, but information. Um, thank you so much for being here. You're an eggs expert. I know you've never heard that before. Thank you. You know, it, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've kind of been struggling with what my title should be because when I'm quoted in a, in a media, you know, newspaper or magazine or introduced like this, they always want a title and, you know, author, sure, I'm an author. I host a TV show. I'm a blogger. And I, I'm trying to come up with something that just really 
kind of encompasses everything. And I have not come up with anything yet. I would say badass. Can we throw that out there? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the queen of the coop thing I got, I I think it was the TV station in Texas years ago when I walked out onto the, the set to start the segment, there was a huge banner in the back and it said queen of the coop and it was back there through the whole segment and other media just picked up on that and that kind of got attached to me so you know i'll, I'll go with that good. too i'm cool with that i mm-hmm. mean it's pretty good and it does it does it does sort of really encompass all the things that you are good at but i mean i don't want to take away the fact that you are an author you do host a tv show but more importantly you're i mean is it safe to say you're a farmer right I mean, we have a tractor and I grow garlic, you know, I mean, a farmer is kind of a stretch because it's not really how we make our living. You know, I I kind of putter in the garden and and Mm -hmm. pretend and all that. We live out in the country, but um, I don't know, farmer, not so much. Like farmer, I think like you're bailing a hundred bales of hay and you're, you know, feeding cows and things like that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the beginnings. Where are you from originally? Massachusetts. Okay. Um, I, Central Mass. I read that you grew up across the street from grandparents' farm or grandparents? Yes, the grandparents, and they did have a chicken farm. They had a three-story barn, two wings, hundreds of chickens. That's how they fed their family. They sold the meat and the eggs. They had a diner that they supplied with the meat and the eggs. So I would consider them chicken farmers. You know, that was what they did for a living. And um, I grew up across the street from that, which, you know, you grow up with and you don't really think anything is odd about it. And then I went to college and, you know, maybe mentioned that my grandparents were chicken farmers and people were like, what? Do people do that? Like, yes, (laughs) they do. Um, Well, what was it like growing up in, I mean, is this sort of a rural area that you grew up in? Very rural. I mean, it still is, you know, it was a small town of you know, like 400 people or something like that, just kind of one street, no street lights mm-hmm. kind of deal. We had chickens as kids, but my brother and I did, but it was just a very small coop, more like a family flock, kind of like people have now, you know, maybe a dozen chickens that we just collected the eggs from. I'm sh- pretty sure we ate, I know we ate my grandparents' chickens. I'm pretty sure we ate ours. I believe I've blocked it out because we don't eat our chickens now. Like, you know, they're pets, they have names, but growing up, you know, we, I'm, we had chicken all the time and I'm sure it was chickens that I had met (laughs) before. Yeah. I mean, well, it's survival, right? I mean, that's just, yeah. Well, it's how people fed their families. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't run to the grocery store every time they needed something they grew and raised and and all that. Um, we're chicken farm. So, I mean, I think this for me, they sold eggs like commercially then. Mm-hmm. Okay. They sold them to other restaurants. They, you know, they used them in their diner. They had, you know, people in the neighborhood or in neighboring towns they sold to as well. But I remember my grandfather loading up his station wagon with flats, just flats upon flats of eggs and, and going out and delivering them. Yeah. Um, you went off to school to do what? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, okay. I, I wanted to be a hairdresser, first of all. Nice. Uh, my mom kind of talked to me out of that, I used to cut all my doll's hair and, you know, put it in rollers and stuff. And my mom mentioned that I'd be on my feet all day. And, you know, maybe that wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to do. Um, so then I decided I wanted to be the person who took the photos. I don't know if you grew up in New England, but Friendly's is a big chain. I've heard of it. You know, restaurant. 
okay, I wanted to be the person who took the photos for the friendlies menus. They had these glossy full color menus of all the food, the sandwiches and the ice creams and everything. And ironically enough, that is kind of what I wanted to be. But back then that wasn't really something, I mean, obviously somebody was doing it, but it wasn't something I could really wrap my head around. So I went to college to be an accountant, Okay, which is probably the most opposite thing I could have chosen. I mean, maybe, but who knows? I'm sure there's probably lots of things that you picked up in school that are helping you to this day. Oh, right? absolutely. It's, right. it's a great, yes. I would say for anybody listening out there, having a business background, whether it's accounting, marketing, whatever it is, you'll definitely use it later in life. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, be a sponge, right? Soak up all the things, especially yeah. when you're young. Um, well, then let's talk about a little bit. You go off to be an accountant. When did, like, I guess, explain for me how this happened where you you settle where you're settled and you have chickens? Like, how did that whole, how did that happen? <laughs> Tell me the story. I'm not really sure, honestly. <laughs> so, so I did go to college. I graduated with a degree in accounting. I uh, went to work on Wall Street. Um, I went to Bryant College in Rhode Island. So a lot of the people I went to college with were from the New York, New Jersey area. And everybody was kind of going to Manhattan to get jobs. So I moved to Long Island and I got a job on Wall Street and, um, you know, passed my CPA license. And I was, you know, 110% in being an accountant. And I did it for a couple of years and realized what an incredibly boring job it is apologies to any accountants out there but um no yeah and so on wall street you were an accountant on wall street then like you worked for Mm -hmm. a firm or correct yeah i worked for uh, bankers trust and morgan stanley doing the accounting for okay you know the funds and the trades and things like that um wow yeah incredibly boring but fun you know being young working in manhattan sure like that part of it i loved was was really fun it was exciting i was from a small town and all of a sudden i was in a big city and and all that but incredibly stressful racing to catch trains and i mean i would look at these older men on the train and think there's no way i could be 60 years old and still under this stress long hours and you know taking car service home because i had missed the last train and all that kind of stuff so it was a lot i mean i i burnt out pretty quickly so it, was it a desk job, I'm assuming? You're crunching numbers all day? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's so funny you say that. I just interviewed someone who was a day trader um, right out of school, mm. worked on Wall Street, and loved it. Was very successful, said it was fun. It was um, There was a lot of adrenaline attached to it, but at some point just said, this isn't rewarding anymore. I cannot do this for the rest of my life. Just can't do it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, being a trader is more exciting. Like I sat next to the trading desk and that those were the days before I mean, we had computers, but they right. were running tickets back and forth. So yeah. like a trader would make a trade on the floor, run back to the back office to put that trade in so they could, you know, account for it basically. So it, it was a lot of physical and going back and forth. And I did go onto the floor a couple of times and, you know, that was really fun. But I mean, I, I did it for, I don't know, I guess about six years and I, one day I took the train and I got to my office at Morgan Stanley, my desk, and I put my, you know, my bagel and my coffee down and I took my sneakers off and put my shoes on. Cause you know, you couldn't run in, right. uh, in pumps to try and see what sneakers, right. check your shoes in your desk drawer. And um, I mean, I literally just looked around and the ticker tape was going and everyone's running around and I was like, Nope, I'm not doing this anymore. So I put my sneakers back on, took my bagel, my coffee. I went to Penn station called my boss who wasn't in yet, left him a voicemail and told him I quit. 
like just cold turkey. I was done. Whoa, you were done, done. Mm -hmm. Okay. What happened next? So I decided that I was going to open a bookstore because this again, before the days of cell phones and all that people on the train, 30, 40 minutes, twice a day, were either reading the paper, they were reading books. Sometimes women were knitting, something like that, but people were reading a lot of books. So I opened a bookstore kind of right under the train tracks, you know, in Rockville Center on Long Island, where I lived. And it was mostly paperbacks. People would come in, buy a couple of paperbacks, read them. You know, I, I had like a steady customer base of people that just plowed through books. Yeah, that's smart. That's super smart. How long, how long mm-hmm. did that last? I did that for about six or seven years also. I seem to have like a seven year, <laughs> like the seven year itch kind of thing going yeah, on. Yeah. Um, I really loved it. And again, I was using my business background. Obviously I was running a business. So I understood profit margins and, you know, cost of goods and I could do my own taxes and balance my checkbook and all that, which was nice. Um, I really did love it. Um, I met my husband. He was in the Navy stationed in Florida. So that put a little kink in things. We got married and moved to Florida. I did have someone managing the store for a while, but long distance, I was just, I ended up with all the problems, Yeah, you know, figure, finding out why books hadn't arrived on time or, or just doing the taxes. I didn't get all the customer, you know, recommending books to people and sitting in my store, all the, all the fun stuff. So that got old really quickly. And I actually ended up sell, selling the store to a customer who bought it for his wife because she just loved the store so much that he bought it for her. I love that. That's really sweet. Yeah. How long were you in Florida? We were there for two years. Um, He was stationed there for two years and then he uh, retired or yeah, he retired out of Florida and then uh, got a job in Norfolk, Virginia at the Navy base there. Mm -hmm. So we moved to Virginia and he had had horses, which when you're in the military, having horses, it's kind of risky because you get deployed, you know, but he yeah. had always boarded them. And his dream kind of like was to have horses in the backyard. And I mean, what you pay to board horses, you can put that towards a mortgage and you find a nice little farm. So that's what we did. We bought a little farm, six acres out in uh, Virginia in the countryside. And we had this cute little barn and two horses. And, um, you know, you could look out the kitchen window and they were just grazing in the backyard and that left me sort of careerless. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, not a lot of around the military bases, unless you're a nurse or a teacher, you know, there's not a ton of job opportunity a lot of times, you know, for the wives. So I was, um, I was just kind of getting bored and it was 2009 okay. and someone at work that worked with my husband had just gotten chickens. It was the recession. Backyard chicken keeping was kind of starting to get popular. And so he, well, I wanted goats because we had the barn, we had the fenced in pastures and people were starting to make, you know, soap, goat soap and, you know, all kinds of goat milk things and everything. And I thought that would be kind of cool. He thought it would be less cool. So he (laughs) counter offered the chicken basically. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself, did you not listen to me when I was telling my childhood stories? Like, I did not like the chickens. We had roosters that would chase us. The chickens were mean. They would mm-hmm. peck us when we went to collect their eggs. You know, my brother and I would wear oven mitts to go collect the eggs yeah. because the chickens were so mean. Um, and it was chores. You know, it was chicken chores when you're a kid and you don't want to have chores and everything. So 
I was like, oh, chickens, seriously? But I said, well, you know what? We'll get the chickens. I'll just work on him about the goats. You know, at least we'll get something, right? So we went out before he could change his mind. We went to the feed store and we got six chicks. And then there were some ducklings there too. And he was like, we'll take some of those too. So now we had chickens and ducks, which I had never raised. Um, And I did like a real deep dive crash course because having them as a kid is different than as an adult, you know, you're in charge of their health and and their feeding and all that. So, you know, I read everything I get my hands on and we started raising chickens and I started posting pictures of them on Facebook that it, that was 2009. Gosh, I started a page just kind of, you know, picked fresh egg daily out of a hat. Uh, my friends, I was posting pictures of the baby chicks on my Facebook page and people, my friends, we're like, you know, we're just going to have to unfriend you because we're tired of seeing pictures of your chickens. <laughs> so I just started a business page and said, fine, I'll, you know, start a business page. And then people started asking me questions. And between what I had, you know, my crash course when we had gotten the chicks and then what I knew just from growing up around them, you know, I started answering people's questions and realized I kind of knew more than I thought I did maybe. Mm. And it just sort of grew and snowballed from there. Isn't that funny when you realize, hey, I I do know my stuff. Like, hey, I I do know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm doing. It's always when you realize that, when you have that realization. Um, and I taught so my grandmother was still alive at the time. She lived to be 99 years old. So <gasps> she was alive at the time when we got our chickens. And I would go visit and sit with her. And I think she was so happy you know, that I had gotten chickens as an adult and was kind of carrying on the family tradition, sure. although in a completely different way. But it was really fun to talk to her and just hear how she did things. And she really, really enjoyed talking about her chickens, even though they did eat them. You know, she always had her favorites that were kind of like the yard chickens that, mm-hmm. you know, hung around and, yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So that probably, so yeah, that, was kind of neat. That, that probably did a lot for her, just knowing that you had... Oh. You know, you had chickens. I was going to ask you, were there any sort of like nightmare stories about growing up with chickens? Because I I just, I haven't been around chickens a lot, but the ones I have been around, I'm like, they're mean. They're going to come get me. They're going to attack me. Yeah. And our chickens were, so when, when they were baby chicks, we loved them. You know, they would be on our porch in a little box and my brother and I would pet them and we named them all. In fact, I remember my brother, we named them Batman and Robin because, you know, we watched Batman and then we named one um the rooster was Bojangles because that song Mr. Bojangles uh Jim Croce I think maybe it was his song it used to be on the radio all the time so our our rooster was Bojangles but I mean he literally wanted to kill us so no I didn't have super happy childhood memories of chickens but looking back the hens were broody you know they were sitting on the eggs because they wanted to hatch them and we didn't spend time with them once they weren't chicks on the porch anymore yeah so, you know, it wasn't like they were pets. They were just out there. So in Virginia, you get chickens. Does something, you know, you have the business Facebook page, you're posting pictures. It seems like something just clicked, like the light bulb went off for you. Is that the case? It, well, it did. Well, so I realized I was answering the same questions over and over again. And okay. blogging was super new. But I, my husband was IT. He was doing IT for the Navy. And one of the women who worked for him said, well, I can set you up with a blog. You know, we can just set something up really inexpensively. I can set it up for you, show you how to use it. And then I figured, well, I could write maybe 20 articles, the most common things I get asked. And then I could just point people to that instead of typing the the answers over and over again, day after day. 
so now, you know, whatever, 14 years later and 700 articles, <laughs> still writing articles about it. But um, so that was the one moment when I started the blog. But then not too long after that, another blogger said to me, you know, companies will pay you to put ads on your blog. Yeah. So of course, that's when the light bulb went off and my entrepreneur spirit said, oh, so I could actually like earn some money. I mean, I, I never thought it would become a living, but I could earn some money doing this. Sure. And so I started just reaching out to companies whose products I used and loved. And, you know, I think I was charging them like $10 a month, you know, in the beginning to get started. Um, but that was the beginning of it. I think I earned like $16,000 the first year. Mm -hmm. I started freelance writing and, you know, trying to think of other ways that I could, you know, earn some money doing this. So, well, kudos to you. I think it's so funny that you said that starting off small, I mentioned to you in the beginning of the of the podcast, I'm just now getting some sponsorships for this podcast. And they're small, right? They're local. Um, and everybody I tell that story to, they're all like, well, you got to start somewhere. And it's so, so true. You have to start off small. You absolutely do. And I have some sponsors that have been with me almost since the first year mm. so year after year they renew and year after year I raise the rates and they're not paying ten dollars anymore um but as my traffic has grown and as you know my whole following has grown they're happy to pay more because they know that they're getting more eyeballs on their ads absolutely so so okay so you're in Virginia this light bulb goes off and really I think it sounds like you know, you said you were a little bored, you got chickens, you started to, you know, create this blog. And now all of a sudden, it has turned into a business for you, which this just I'm sure, just lights you up inside, because that's kind of what you've done. And now you're making money, you're successful. And it's like, hell, yeah, I'm contributing. And I mean, not really feeling successful, necessarily, mm -hmm. but feeling like I'm doing something to to keep me busy that I enjoy that's super creative because, you know, there's the writing part of it. There's the yeah. design part of it. You know, there's the research part of it. There's so many different pieces that I enjoyed, but it really, it wasn't until my first book came out, I think that I really started to say, okay, maybe, maybe now I'm successful and maybe this is going to be something that's long-term and, you know, really sustainable because again, I mean, my husband knows me, he kind of knew about my seven year itch thing, did not really think that I was going to be committed to this, I think. Right, right. You know, kind of right. thought it was maybe a, a fad kind of, you're going to get tired of it because I do have a very short attention span. <laughs> you and me both sister. Um, when the first <laughs> book came out, was that also, do you feel like, was that also when you were like, okay, this is, this is now my career when the book came out? Was that like a benchmark for you? I mean, definitely, I, it's like a proud moment. I mean, I remember when I got the email, I was standing in line at the grocery store checking my email and I got the email from the publisher saying would like to publish your book. And I'll remember that moment oh, like for sure. the rest of my life. Um, but it wasn't until my third book, which I kind of wrote almost a book a year because that was 2013 and I have seven books out now. So, you know, roughly book a book a year has come out. It wasn't until my third book came out that, um, my husband said, you know what, I'm going to retire for good. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. You can support us with, with what you're doing. And that's when we ended up moving to Maine. Whoa. That just gave me goosebumps. That feels really good. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, I mean, it's a lot. And we, we prepared, like we knew we could not, you know, bring a lot of debt with us or monthly payments or like we, we had to prepare for it because 
getting a paycheck is a lot different than, well, I'm going to write some books and some blog posts Mm -hmm. and hope the money keeps coming in. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't get a regular monthly Mm -hmm. amount. So you have to make sure that you're not carrying a ton of, of monthly payments and things like that. But yeah, we, we did, we looked for a house for about two years and then found the one we wanted and he quit and we moved. Yeah. Same, the same one that you're same property that you're there Mm -hmm. now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Really? What year was that? 2015. Okay. So we've a little over seven years. We, fun fact, I had not seen the house until we moved into it. We, um, I had seen, you know, pictures online, but he came up uh, once or twice, I guess, to meet the owners. And then he came up for the closing. I had never seen it. And we arrived, we, we um, loaded the chickens and ducks. We, our horses, we didn't bring, they were older and would not have loved Virginia, uh, Maine winters, you know, after being used to Virginia. So we didn't bring the horses. We put all the chickens and ducks in the horse trailer. We had friends bringing up our, our tractor and, um, you know, so we had a little caravan. We left, you know, before daylight and we arrived after sunset. So I actually didn't even see the house till the next morning, like the property and and got the whole idea of it. And that's the first time I had actually seen where we were going to be living. Okay. What was your reaction when you saw the house? I loved it. Okay. I loved it. I mean, so my thing is like the kitchen, you know, and, and we re, we kind of redid the kitchen. Like we knew that the kitchen, it, it, it's large and, and whatever, but we knew it had potential, right? So that was my important thing was that I was going to love the kitchen and that we could have chickens. We, yeah. you know, we did get a coop. There was no chicken coop here. So we did um, get the coop after we moved in, but just the fact knowing that we had the space for it and we could, you know, I could continue raising chickens because obviously that was, key to my job yeah bread and butter right um mm-hmm. and you have ducks and geese currently mm-hmm. okay are there mm-hmm. challenges having all three not really we've had the ducks and the chickens all along we got them you know the same day when we first started out um in 2009 we got the geese about three or four years ago I guess and um did not know anything about raising geese I read a few books that were out there um and I talked to John Metzer who is like the supplier of pretty much all the geese in the country. I've been out to his hatchery and I know him pretty well. So I, I talked with him about what they would need and the best decision. They're so low maintenance, so easy. They just walk around eating grass all the time. Lovely. We love the geese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their babies are cute too. And their eggs are gigantic. Okay. What? Okay. A goose egg. What do you do with a goose egg? Eat it. Same sure. as eat it. Yeah scramble it or or fry it or I mean I I fried one in a skillet I uh, one time for an Instagram video and I mean it takes up almost the whole skillet just that one egg wow mm-hmm. um so it seems like and correct me if I'm wrong but the, the whole time you've been doing raising chickens ducks and geese it's like you you have a little bit of information you go find that information you go find more you go find more but then at some point you sort of turn into this like conduit. You're like the connection for the people out there who want to do the same thing. And they're turning to you really to find that information. So you're finding it, but then you're breaking it down in a way where people are like, thanks Lisa. Got it. That was easy. Do you, is that, Mm -hmm. is that accurate? I think it is. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm really honored that I've heard from a couple of poultry science departments at different universities across the country that they actually use my blog as a teaching tool because they do find it to be such a, a great, um, you know, well-researched yeah. source. Um, and, you know, some things I didn't know, I've always used um, 
like the humane extension has a wonderful poultry section on their website. And I've used a lot of, you know, scientific sites and things like that. And I've also had the good fortune because I do work with a lot of these brands that I have, you know, if not the cell phone number, the direct email to the head of the hatcheries or, you know, of the feed companies or the incubator company, or like, I know all these people. So if I have a question, I can go right to them, which has been super helpful. Also, when professors are using your blog, Hair Flip, that's a Hair Flip moment. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Texas A&M actually invited me down to their poultry science department. And um, I spent the day and met them and, and all that. But yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of validating. Hugely validating. Hugely. You know your stuff, woman. You know your stuff. We are going to dive <laughs> into eggs, all thing eggs. I have so many questions for you. Uh, but first, a quick message from today's sponsor. We'll be right back. Gourmet provisions and fine kitchenware, a cook's dream, all nestled in the culinarium in downtown Ashland, Oregon. Discover the latest in bakeware and cookware and timeless pieces to complete your kitchen collection. Unfold something new and fresh for your tabletop. Find all the essentials for your home bar. Stock your pantry with an array of gourmet goods, oils, salts, and specialty items. Shop the culinarium from the comfort of your own home. Visit ashlandculinarium.com and discover the finest gourmet provisions in kitchenware. I mean, really, you're here because there's this there's this thing going on with eggs. They're super expensive right now. No one can find them. They're really pricey. So families are are not buying eggs or they're having to be really smart about buying eggs. Why are they so expensive right now? Yeah, it's, it's really crazy how this whole thing has blown up. And a lot of it is media frenzy because honestly, everything has gone up in price. Sure. Um, the thing about eggs is that they historically have not really gone up in the last 40 years. For the last 40 years, the price of eggs has hovered between a dollar and $2. So people have been lulled into a kind of this, you know, false sense of what an egg is worth. Mm -hmm. And the prices haven't gone up. They've been used as loss leaders at grocery stores forever. You know, they're in the back of the store. So if a store can get you in for their 89 cents a dozen eggs, they hope that, you know, you'll fill up your cart on the way back out of the store. Um, So that's part of it. But also avian flu, which is um, incredibly infectious. There's no cure. There's no vaccine. It kind of sweeps through the country every couple of years. There was a really bad case of it uh, this year, which wiped out a ton of commercial layers, which you know has put um, pressure on the price of eggs. Also, Ukraine uh, was, I'm not sure if they still are, but they were the number one supplier of wheat in the world. Mm. So taking that wheat out of the food supply is making feed costs go up. Um, and then add to that the price of gas, which just, you know, increases the price of everything. So all those factors came together. Um, and in addition, I think what's happening is, you know, you're seeing all over social media, the $14 dozen of eggs. Well, those aren't the eggs that were 89 cents at Costco three months ago. Mm -hmm. Those are, are more the designer eggs that had just hit the market. So you've got all these small producers that are selling blue eggs or organic eggs or, you know, the, the pasture raised omega three fortified eggs. So those eggs already were selling for eight or $9 a dozen. Mm-hmm. So now they've gone up to 14, but you can't really compare the 89 cents dozen to the $14, you know, so you're kind of comparing apples to 
oranges mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think the media eggs have gone up percentage wise, probably higher than any other food. But when you look at their starting cost, it was like a dollar seventy five. Yeah. Like dollar wise, they have not gone up. And they're still, you know, the most affordable protein and also a complete protein. They're so versatile, so nutritious. You know, so even if you're paying six dollars a dozen for eggs, a two egg omelet is costing you a dollar. Right. And, you know, what else are you going to eat for breakfast? It's going to be more, more nutritious, um, keep you full, all this other stuff. So a lot of it is media hype. The price has gone up. Absolutely. You know, I don't know that the price will come down because it really was due for an adjustment. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It Chickens needed a raise, essentially, is what I'm hearing. They did. And the people selling their eggs, you know, there are a lot of people who, um, you know, they sell their eggs to earn money, pay for their chicken feed and to support their families. Well, they their prices were suppressed by the grocery store prices. Mm-hmm. So they weren't able to, to charge for their eggs, even what it would cost them to feed those chickens. And now I'm hearing from a lot of them saying, you know, thank goodness the price of eggs went up because now I can charge $5 and I can't keep eggs in stock because people are snapping them up at $5, which is now helping them pay for their feed. So, you know, there's pros and cons. Nobody wants the price of anything to go up ever, but realistically it does. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, also with, it seems like, and I'm going to look at the media here too, because I feel like there was a highlight on farms and this is far, this is across the board when it comes to where does our food come from you know that whole like the, the story about where where are we getting our food mm-hmm. are there farms out there that are better than they used to be are farm or chicken farms getting better yes and that's another big part of it is that several states california massachusetts michigan colorado i believe they've passed laws that the stores can only sell eggs from cage-free chickens. So the farms cannot keep the chickens in these tiny little cages anymore. They have to provide them more space, which is another added cost to the farms. So of course, they're going to pass that added cost onto the consumer. When in reality, all this means is that all those chickens in the tiny little cages, they take the cages away, and the chickens are now just all roaming free in a warehouse. I mean, like you said, chickens are mean. They're pecking each other. They're you know, there's a lot of aggression issues. So the mortality rate of the cage free hens is actually worse than if they were in cages. So cage free, it makes everyone feel good, but it really is no better. And I personally think that chickens are better off in the cages because they're safe. Everyone's getting enough food. You know, when you have them all roaming around, some chickens might be a little more meek. They might get pushed away from the food, not be allowed to eat as much. So really, pasture raised is the gold standard where the chickens are outside during the day they're on grass or dirt or you know in forested areas and they're allowed to roam around and then locked up at night for safety yes and so i'm glad you mentioned that because i was going to ask you it seems like i've for sure i've done a little bit of research and i get conflicting information because i see cage free and i'm like oh yay i want to I want a cage-free chicken. And then mm-hmm. you have organic and then you have pasture-raised and then you have free range. So, I mean, I guess help us when we're shopping for eggs, what should we be looking for on the carton? Yeah, egg cartons have become billboards. They put as many words on those cartons as they possibly can. Most yeah. of them don't mean anything. Vegetarian, I mean, chickens are not vegetarian. They eat bugs and worms and you know meat, whatever. Um, hormone or antibiotic-free. 
they're not allowed to give them hormones or antibiotics. So that doesn't mean anything. So there's so much that doesn't, you know, farm fresh means nothing, even local. I believe an egg can travel 400 miles and still be considered local. So all those terms mean literally nothing. If you eat organically, then look for the organic um, label on the egg cartons. If that's something that's important to you, but know that organic refers more to what the chicken is eating than necessarily how they're treated. There, there are certain guidelines that the chickens cannot be in cages and, and any of that, but organic is, is mostly what they're eating, you know? So if that matters to you, that's something to look okay. for. Um, but really you want the certified humane pasture raised. That is the absolute gold standard. If it matters to you, how that chicken is being treated, mm-hmm then the certified humane pasture race is what you want to look for. It certainly matters to me. I live in Southern Oregon, which we have rural areas, very rural areas here. Lots of people have chickens. Um, Lots of my friends have chickens. Is it, if you have access to, you know, really a farm where you can go and pick up a dozen eggs or your friend is like, here, I'll sell you a dozen eggs for two bucks. Is that, is that the ideal? Yes, absolutely. There's, there's a code on the end of each egg carton in the grocery store that tells you when that egg was put in the carton. So they use a uh, Julian date, you know, so zero zero one is January one, three, six, five is December 31st. So you can tell how old those eggs are. And sometimes just for fun, I go into the store and look at those codes and you would be surprised at how old some supermarket eggs are by the time you're even picking them up and then they might sit in your fridge for another week or two. So if you have a farmer, a friend, a neighbor, those eggs are going to be super fresh. Eggs don't necessarily lose a lot of nutrition as they age, but the texture and the consistency changes because the egg loses moisture through the pores in the eggshell. And also there's a greater chance of bacterial contamination because as the air goes out of the egg, bacteria and, and other things can be getting in. And if, you know, say salmonella gets in and it has more time to multiply, then that can become an issue. So fresh eggs are definitely important. Um, those grocery store eggs, how old? Like weeks, months? Easily three to four weeks. Ooh. Not a problem. Mm. Yeah. And also when you mm. are getting eggs from a local farm or your friend or your neighbor, you're supporting a local farm, your friend mm-hmm. and your neighbor, <laughs> right? I mean, you're exactly. just, you're supporting those yeah. people who are putting that work in. Mm-hmm. And who pay taxes in your town and, yeah. you know, absolutely they're contributing and yes, um, you just, local. Yes, always. Um, you've <laughs> just mentioned a lot of the differences between an older egg and a fresh egg. As far as, you know, taste and color, I mean, is it obvious to you an egg that, you know, you, you crack open two hours or two weeks? Not so much. I don't think taste okay. um, or color because the color of the egg yolk is dependent on the hen's diet. So if she's eating leafy greens and alfalfa and parsley and marigolds and all kinds of good things, she's going to have a really, really orange egg yolk Mm -hmm. in that egg. And if she's just eating like a cheap commercial diet, it'll be very pale. Um, But the egg white starts to really thin out as the egg ages. So if you're frying an egg, for example, and you drop a fresh egg into your skillet, it's just going to kind of sit there. An old egg is going to spread all over the pan. And then you're taking your spatula trying to, you know, keep it where it belongs or poaching eggs. Same thing. You really want super fresh eggs 
whites and you poach them because older eggs, those whites are just going to end up going wherever. Okay. My brain just blew up. That makes so much sense. So much sense, Lisa. Um, Mm -hmm. Why, why invest in a coop? I mean, I, I have friends who are like, we're getting chickens and now they have a coop and they're, they're teaching their kids about raising chickens and, and getting eggs. So, I mean, is it better to invest in a coop? I've been asked that a lot lately and there have been a lot of articles about, mm-hmm. you know, is it going to save you money to raise chickens? And I'm going to say in the short term, no, because there is somewhat of an investment to get your coop, whether you build it, buy it, buy a kit, whatever you need a pen for them, the feeder, the water or whatever. But I can tell you everybody who got chickens back in 2009 during the recession, they are thrilled that they have chickens right now because the ongoing expenses aren't that high. So I think once you've recouped, pun intended, your coop cost, um, then yes, as long-term investment, you absolutely can save money raising chickens, especially if you live somewhere that there's not snow on the ground for half the year. You know, if you can get your chickens out on the grass for part of the year or all year, they're going to eat a lot of stuff outside and they're not going to eat very much feed at all. So it's not going to cost you a ton of money to feed your chickens. Brilliant. How many chickens do you have right now? We have 15 chickens, nine ducks and two geese. Okay. Do you have any favorites? You're not supposed to ask that. (laughs) I do. um, Just because, you know, the friendliest chickens, Miranda's my friendliest chicken, but also because of what I do and the longevity of what I do, I've actually started to get like body double chickens. So as like my older chickens are getting older, I get chicks of the same breed and I name them the same thing. Mm. So they can kind of just, you know, step into the yeah. role when that, you know, older chicken passes, then, you know, cause it's cause people follow me, get used to the chickens and their names and what they look like. And eventually someone's going to say, wait, Violet, you were talking about her 25 years ago. Right. You know? <laughs> How long do chickens actually live? But I'm on my my second generation of of a lot of them. But it just made it easier because I, I got tired of thinking of names and stuff. So now I'm just kind of replacing with the same breed, give her the same name and carry on. It's actually pretty smart. It's what we do with passwords. So makes sense. Yeah, right. Right. Um, uh, let's talk about your cookbook, Fresh Eggs Daily, which again, also the mm-hmm. name of your blog and your website. Mm-hmm. This came out in 2022. And I apologize. Is this your first cookbook? It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all the other books before were all about raising chickens. Here here you have this cookbook now. When did you, I mean, I'm assuming you've always been in the kitchen cooking and doing things like that. But when did you really realize that, oh, this is a thing and people are digging my recipes? I mean, I think I didn't realize at the time, but I, and I didn't even actually remember at the time I, I pitched it kind of during COVID, just when COVID was starting, mm-hmm. which was great timing because it gave me something to do for the two years that I wasn't, you know, doing appearances or book signings or whatever. It kept me busy. But I realized afterwards that that whole thing about wanting to be a food photographer for friendlies, I had not remembered that for years. But I think that from way back when I always kind of secretly wanted to be a food blogger, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I, I would never have, have made it because I, I'm not a recipe tester. You know, I'm not a professional food photographer. It's such a competitive field. So I was super fortunate to kind of slide in on the side because Collins recognized that I had tons of people following me who raise chickens, but also have a lot of eggs. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, obviously when they sign an author, they, their goal is just to sell books. So they recognize that you know, I had this built in audience for an egg cookbook, as well as 
everyone else in the world who eats eggs, you know? So I was super fortunate that um, it all kind of came together. And I mean, I worked on it for pretty much most of COVID and Mm -hmm. came out last February. Brilliant. Congratulations. Also, when Mm -hmm. we're talking about cooking eggs, I mean, hundreds of ways you can use an egg in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Good grief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so many things you can do with an egg. It's funny because my agent, well, actually just trying to find an agent. I, you know, talked to a couple of agents and a few of them wanted me to do like a farm to table book instead, which has been done a million times over. And I had no interest in doing it. I said, no, it has to be an egg cookbook. I want every recipe to have eggs in it. And my agents that I ended up hiring got it right away. And then when we were pitching to the publishers, there were some who who said same thing. Well, I, I can't imagine a whole cookbook about eggs. And I'm thinking to myself, I had to cut recipes right. because I've, I've got folders full of egg recipes, sweet, savory, in drinks. I mean, there's so many ways to use eggs, but it, it became difficult to cut it down to a hundred. I'm sure. I was just going to say, you probably had to cut some stuff out. And drinks, mm-hmm. hello, egg whites have been used mm-hmm. in cocktails for years. They have. And that's kind of one of the things that um, I'm not sure people really you know, realize that necessarily, but yeah, the maple sour recipe in my cookbook with the egg white foam on top is, I mean, I had to taste test that many, many times (laughs) to make sure the recipe was correct. Tough job. Um, (laughs) Super tough job over there. I also saw on your Instagram page, did you take over for like a distillery? You did like an Instagram Mm -hmm. takeover? Yeah. the, the, The cookbook has opened up so many new doors because I, I was, you know, in the chicken world for all these years and kind of knew everybody and everybody knew everybody and writing the cookbook opened doors to the culinary world. So I was on a bunch of podcasts and morning shows doing cooking segments. And it was something so new and different and fun. And I just really enjoy that part of it. And now that I think about it, I guess it was about seven years since we got the chickens, right? 2013, 2020. It was, it was about seven years that I sort of pivoted a little bit and now I'm doing something a little different, but I've been able to work with some brands like Stonewall Kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, which has been fun. They're here in Maine and also Maine Spirits has had me do a takeover a couple of times to do cocktail recipes for them, which is so fun. So fun. Seven's your number. I think it is. Yeah. Go get a lottery <laughs> ticket. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is, that is definitely your number. Um, do you have mm-hmm. a favorite way to cook an egg? Eggs? Yeah, if I, I mean, if I could eat eggs only one way for the rest of my life, it would definitely be eggs Benedict. You, I mean, you just can't beat a poached egg with hollandaise sauce on top. You cannot. You cannot. Mm-mm. That's also one of my absolute fave, fave, faves. I mean, holl- and people are afraid of hollandaise sauce. You know, they, it can be tricky, but even if it breaks, it's still going to taste amazing because mm-hmm. it's butter and lemon and egg. I mean, how can that taste bad? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. I actually had poached eggs last night for dinner, um, which do intimidate me sometimes, but I did all the things right, a little vinegar, and they turned out perfect. They were delicious. That's also poached Mm -hmm. eggs. That's the way to go, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I I didn't realize how many people were against runny yolks before I wrote the cookbook, like literally grossed out by a runny yolk. And to me, like a fully cooked yolk is almost ordering like ordering a steak well done 1000 percent. it's just not i mean if you have never had a jammy egg where the the yolk is kind of just barely set on the edges and the inside is runny 
So good. So much better than a hard boiled egg. Nature's gravy, people. It's nature's gravy. Mm -hmm. That's what we give Mm -hmm. our dogs eggs occasionally. And my husband says, nature's gravy, pups. So good for their coats and their eyes. Something that I actually just saw, which I sort of did a variation, but it's kind of going around now is um, breakfast pasta, where you just cook your pasta. And then when it's done cooking, you drain it. And then you just whip butter and an egg into it. Like just, you know, crack an egg and drop into your pasta with the butter and the egg. And you've got this like smooth, silky sauce. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. super easy. I've been seeing that a lot too. Breakfast pasta. It's all the rage currently. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a carbonara, I guess, but yeah. without, you know, all the, the, the fancy fuss. The, yeah. Well, it's cheaper too. Cause you don't have mm-hmm. the cream and the bacon, the bacon. Yeah. The cream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking into your website recently over the last week or so. Um, and I, something that popped out at me secret to peeling hard boiled eggs. You, I mean, mm-hmm. people, People have broken things in their kitchen because they're going to peel a hard boiled egg and it just is shredding in their hands. What is the secret? That's actually one of my top 10 blog posts of all time. I I mean, I think it's been seen by like 600,000 people or some ridiculous (laughs) amount of people. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Anytime a conversation starts about that on social media, you know, I can't peel my eggs. Fresh eggs don't peel. And 90% of the people just say, let them get old, let them sit for a couple of weeks in the fridge and then they'll peel well, which is true. But who wants to eat old eggs? Right. Um, so as the egg ages and air gets in through the pores, it pushes the membrane away from the shell, which is why the egg is easier to peel. But if you steam them, someone told me this years ago that her grandmother always steamed the eggs instead of boiling them. So in a steamer basket, a rice cooker, a bamboo, whatever it is that you steam things in your vegetables, whatever, over simmering water, same amount of time as you would boil them for. And then I put them right in ice water. The eggs peel perfectly every time. It's some kind of sciencey magic that's going on. They also don't bang around against each other. You know how sometimes when you're hard boiling the eggs, they bounce and they bang and they crack. Yeah. They don't do that when you steam them. They just kind of like sit quietly in their little basket. I'm pretty sure that's what Julia Child used to do. She would steam them. Oh, really? Them. I'm almost positive. I'll look it up to confirm. I, mean, I don't want to. I don't want to throw that out there. That's the journalist in me. Um, but I'm pretty sure she steamed them and she did not boil them. So I wouldn't be surprised because she knew like everything. Everything. She's incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to wrap up just a little bit. Um, but before I get to the final three, I guess for those people who, you know, when I was chatting with a friend yesterday about you that I'm going to be interviewing you and she said, I don't care how much eggs cost. We will be buying eggs for the rest of our lives. We're a family that loves eggs. I mean, should people, you know, for those who are on a budget maybe, um, and don't have access to local farms or friends or family members that are raising chickens. I mean, just stick, stick with it. If, if eggs are a part of your diet, I mean, just stick with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're so nutritious. Mm-hmm. They have so many nutrients in them. And I don't know that there's any food that would be better that you could be buying for less. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. Um, I also, I did write this down and I forgot to ask you, orangey yolks, that's the goal, right? You sh- that's what we should be mm-hmm. looking for across the board. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And they taste yes, better. They, they're going to taste better. And I mean, some feed companies put marigolds and things in the feed to make the eggs kind of artificially orange, but it's not artificial ingredients. It's things that are good for the chickens anyway. So oh, okay. the more orange the yolk, probably the more nutritious the hen's diet. And I'm sure you've seen 
the videos on social media of some beautiful Italian grandmother making pasta with egg yolks. And they, they're like or- little orange balls of goodness. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the pasta actually turns out looking kind of orange because the yolks were so orangey. Everything does. I can't make a white cake. It, they always come out yellow because our egg yolks are so orange. That's incredible. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. Lisa Steele, you have been so much fun. You, ugh, I mean, we could probably chat about eggs all day long, but um, I know you have work to do. So we're going to wrap up and get to the final three. Best advice okay. you've ever been given. This, uh, The best advice I've ever been given is that there are going to be people that are not going to like you. That's just inevitable. And the more successful you get, the more people are not going to like you, but you shouldn't worry about that because for every person that doesn't like you, there's going to be 10 who do. And the worst thing is if people are indifferent, that's like the kiss of death. You don't want people to be indifferent about you. So you got to take the good with the bad. Mm, That is good advice. That's, um, you could be the juiciest, ripest peach on the planet. Not everybody likes peaches. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Uh, what's your happy place? Here. Hmm. Maine. I figured. I figured. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's snow on the ground, right? Yes. Okay. Lots of snow. <laughs> You're like, yes. Lots of snow. I saw your chickens <laughs> roaming around in the snow. Do they, do they dig the snow or not really? Not so much. No, their happy place is not Maine, at least in the winter. They love it in the summer. (laughs) When does the snow start to melt off for you guys? I mean, we could have snow in May. Yeah. But usually it's, you know, gone by end of March-ish. Yeah. When my kiddo graduated high school, there were snow flurries in June. (laughs) Nice. Southern Oregon's got crazy, insane weather as well. Um, Mm -hmm. In all things food and drink, what do you crave? What always just always sounds good to you eggs obviously yeah, of course but but more specifically creme brulee creme brulee is something that i need to make more often if i ever see it on a menu when we're out i always order it okay and i'm assuming you have a recipe for creme brulee i do there's one on my blog and there's also the same one is in the cookbook but yes and that's again something like hollandaise sauce once you master it there are like four ingredients and like i said i should make it more often because yeah. it's so easy to make can we see the cookbook really quick before I let you go? Yes. Fresh Eggs Daily. Where can people find it? Um, everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you know, it's online. It's okay. in stores. If your local bookstore doesn't have it, ask them to order it. Your local library. Pretty much anywhere. And you're super active on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. always po- posting pictures and, and videos. So. At Fresh Eggs Daily. YouTube also. Pinterest, if anyone even does Pinterest anymore. Everywhere. Ooh. Yeah. Everywhere. You're everywhere, Lisa Steele. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your story with me today and also letting me pick your brain about all things eggs. If anybody has any questions, including how to start a coop, your Mm -hmm. website is the place to go, period. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. There's a beginner tab at the top. There's a topics tab and there's a beginner tab that I put together that is definitely the place to start. I mean, it is just a never-ending spot for information. So Lisa Steele, Fresh Eggs Daily, thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing all things eggs. Thank you. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Glose. Today's episode sponsored by The Culinarium, Gourmet Provisions, and Fine Kitchenware. 
You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.